Hey y'all, it's John, your humble podcast coordinator. Um, I'm returning for yet another semester and it's going to be a good one, guys. We got some good plans lined up for podcasts. We're going to make some original content and it's, yeah, just keep an eye on your Spotify. Uh, we'll be trying to release stuff weekly or uh, at least bi-weekly. Um, yeah, so this is... Uh, this recording is from Father Branson's What is Catholicism series. Uh, he gave these talks last semester, and they kind of just go through, like, what are the claims of Catholicism and Christianity? So, like, number one is, like, just basic religiosity and faith as a legitimate way of knowing. So that's what he'll talk about in this episode, and we'll be releasing the other two soon. But uh, they're excellent. I highly recommend. So keep listening and enjoy. like introduction to like catholicism uh i'm father branson uh the purpose of this was like yeah we hear a lot of things about like catholicism like uh in the news and on the media and even like anytime like you touch anything as far as like history uh like yeah scientific discoveries whatever like the catholic church at some point will probably get mentioned and uh there's lots of questions about it and things like that and like there can be sometimes some like really really like frustrating things that are said that are like actually pretty inaccurate and part of that reduction i never i don't think it's ever like ill will but you're dealing with something really really complicated and whenever there's something complicated we tend to like reduction right and actually i can't remember who said it um maybe it was hume but like somebody said that actually like the way that we ingest uh, the way that we ingest news has actually done more damage to science than to religion in the sense of if you read an article online and it's like science says that coffee will do this to you and then when you actually read it and it's like there was a one study that said this thing and it's like that's not actually like what science says and what does it even mean for like science to say something right like there's there's like but you have to actually like be able to appreciate the complexity and like what all of these things look like uh, in order to understand what's actually going on. And so the purpose of this is just to like introduce uh, like what Catholicism is and like what like the church believes and why it believes what it believes. Part of the difficulty though is again, we're dealing with like a really complex historical reality. So this is kind of broken up into three parts structurally. And the three parts are actually kind of structurally broken up into like the creed. There's something called the creed that we say at mass every Sunday. And those that are baptized who become Catholic actually say that creed. And it's broken up into three parts. The three parts, like the creed is on the sheet, but the like, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So first of all, like a God who created everything, right? Who like made everything that there is a visible and like invisible reality. And then there's a second part about the Son, Jesus Christ, uh, and the like specific revelation of who God is, and then like the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. So like the way that like Christ reveals Himself today. So I'm just gonna break this up basically into three parts to almost match the creed. The first being like basic existence of God and how we come to know that. The reasonability of like faith as a legitimate form of knowing because we actually in order to understand these things we have to have a proper like epistemology like understanding of truth and can you actually know anything because you, if you can't know anything what's the point right uh it just ends there so we have to actually talk like very quickly about faith as a is faith a legitimate form of knowing or not uh reality as a sign pointing to a deeper invisible reality and then like the existence of god that's today uh, the one next week will be about like if the mystery has revealed himself definitively and what that would look like, right? And like the claim of Christians that like the mystery, God, whatever that is, revealed himself in a historical, tangible, concrete way that is actually verifiable and testable in some way. And then the third one is the claim of like Catholics that I can encounter that mystery. I can actually encounter... Uh, the tangibility of God made flesh through the mystery of the church as a real concrete place that I can meet in a real way. That's kind of like the basic bare bones structure of it. And like after each part, like I'll leave a lot of space for like questions. 
Um, I recognize that some of this is kind of dense, and I even like thinking about like I studied like these things in seminary for eight years, and I continue to study after it. And it actually like took me like a really long time to wrestle with this. And when I was studying modern philosophy, I really struggled with a very real intellectual skepticism that really got me kind of stuck in my own head in the sense of well, how can you like in studying the modern philosophers is like well, how can you actually know anything, right? There's all of these things in the way that keep you from the actual thing itself. How can I actually know the thing itself? Like, is there actually a way to do that? And I wrestled with it for a lot of years. And so that's why like that part is really precious to me and that we actually start with uh, this aspect of, like, can you actually know anything? Like, is faith a true form of knowing? That's kind of the starting point, right? And so the first thing that I would say with this is there is in what we call, philosophy, but like this problem of what we would call a lived contradiction. And a lived contradiction is basically where you believe something in your head that contradicts the way that you live everyday life. So in your system of thought, you believe something that doesn't actually work in everyday life. An example of this would be like someone who says you can't actually know anything But day-to-day life, they act as if they do know things. They say, no, you're wrong. It was this actor in that movie, right? Inane example, right? But we'll argue things, or they go to school and they learn stuff. What they're doing in everyday life is contradicting the, the thought system that they operate from that says that you can't actually know anything, right? That's what we would call a lived contradiction. And it's something that's actually like, deeply problematic. And we can all have like the capacity to do this. So that's one of the first things that I would point out is we can't separate uh, our intellectual system from what we live in everyday life. And that's one of like the first things that I would kind of point out. And even that there is like a necessity for like the structure of faith uh, as a genuine form of knowing that you can't dodge or get around from square one because all knowledge actually relies upon belief in the law of non-contradiction, that something can't both be and not be at the same time. That's the law of non-contradiction. That's like a starting point. And we actually like believe in that. It starts actually as like an axiom of, of trust in order for everything else to work after that. And if you don't actually trust in the law of non-contradiction, like that's okay. But the problem with that is that there's nowhere to go after that. There's no way to move forward. And in everyday life, again, like we live based on the law of non-contradiction. So this thing of a lived contradiction is really important. And I would say like that's the stepping stone, first of all, is understanding that our system of thought has to coincide with the way that we live life. And I would argue that a lot of the like uh, positions of skepticism and doubt about being able to know anything from the outset are not livable. And so that's the first thing we're going to kind of expand upon and talk about like what faith on the natural level is. So when we talk about faith on the natural level, we're not talking about the supernatural yet, belief in God, but faith is a form of knowing that you use in everyday life. Uh, And there's going to be kind of a diagram for this. And you see on your sheet of paper, like just a loose definition of faith as knowledge through a witness or mediated knowledge, knowledge through another, right? So... So this is kind of the bare bones sketch of it, of what we would call like knowledge through a witness or mediated knowledge, right? Uh, Or like the method of faith as a form of knowing. And it's basically that B witnesses C, recognizes something, and relays it to A. A doesn't witness it, but they experience it through C, right? So you're reading a history book. It tells you something about Julius Caesar, right? Or maybe that's not the best example because that's the person writing the book would not have met Julius Caesar. But like, it's telling you something about the death of JFK and their experience of it, right? They're relaying something that you can't actually witness. So the question is, can I actually know this, right? And if knowledge is only purely experiential, like only I can know it to actually know that it's for sure, the answer is no, I can't do that, right? But the problem is, is that we use this all the time. The famous example that uh, Luigi Gisani would give, 
I'm pulling from a lot of his stuff because for me, he was the most helpful one in understanding like this thing is uh, a professor, another professor said that you could only know things that are purely demonstrable. And he said, professor, I've never been to China, but there are a series of things that point to the reality that China exists, right? Like, can you say, like, and I have absolute certainty that, sh that China exists. Is that reasonable? And the professor, in order to be logically consistent, because it was somebody of skepticism, said, like, no, that's not reasonable. But think about if you're trading on the stock market and you're operating as if China ex does not exist because you've never witnessed it, you'd probably have problems doing the stock market well, right? Like, that, that's actually, like, a huge problem. Like, there are so many things in everyday life that actually require mediated knowledge or knowledge through a witness, which is what we call the structure of faith. But here's the thing is that we're not just saying like blind trust. I think people have an idea of faith where it's like, just believe, right? Just believe, just assent to this thing. And it seems super mindless, right? That is, right? But that's not actually what we talk about is faith is a genuine form of knowing because the whole question and the application of reason is right here in the sense of, like, do I trust the witness? Is the witness worthy of trust? Is there enough evidence or series of evidence that points to the reality that I don't witness, right? So a series of things that point to the reality that China exists to the point where it would be extremely unreasonable to say, because I haven't myself experienced China, like China doesn't exist, right? If you think about this, we actually use this in everyday life all the time. We use this all the time, right? Whenever you get onto a bus, you haven't checked the bus of whether or not it's working, whether or not there's a bomb on it, whether or not like the person driving it is a crazy person. Like there's all of these things every time you get in a car, every time you use your computer and trust that the information that you're receiving is actually accurate. History books, everything, right? All of it is actually mediated knowledge. You can't have genuine history at all without some form of knowledge through a witness, like mediated knowledge. So this is what Jasani says. He says, get rid of this knowledge through mediation and you wipe out all human culture, all of it. Because all human culture, all of it, is based on the fact that one person begins with what another person has discovered and goes forward from there. If you couldn't reasonably do this, the ultimate represent representation of reason, which is culture, wouldn't exist. So we actually use this all the time. But the problem with this is, again, we kind of live a fractured existence where we use this in everyday life. And if you didn't apply this tool, you wouldn't survive. Even think about like the most, the person that's like, I need to verify everything in order to know for certain whether or not it happens. Uh, this is like, the more I think about this, like that person will go to a restaurant, right? They'll take ingredients that that person didn't see cook it in a way they didn't see. They don't know who it is that's cooking it. They put the dish in front of you, and then you take that and you put it in your body. Like you put it inside of you. And we do this like weekly. When you think about that, all the steps that you didn't see, and then it goes inside of you, that's kind of crazy. Like that's actually really crazy. And so the, the answer to that isn't, well, in order to like, well, then I need to just like not eat because like that doesn't work, right? Like reality actually demands of us that we make some sort of choice, that we actually like use this method. So the problem is that the method needs to be used correctly, namely the proper application of reason right here. Is this person like worthy of trust, right? Do they have a reason to deceive me? Do they know what they're talking about? Is there a series of evidences that point to the reality of C, even though I myself can't witness it? On most things, we can do this, right? You're on an elevator, it has the elevator inspection thing, right? It says that it works. And it, you could do all of the work of learning how elevators work and check it for yourself and check all of the things, right? So in some aspects, you can go around and see, but there's other things that we can't actually do that with, right? History is probably the best example of it, of these like historical factors that you can't actually go, yourself go back to. And so you're almost forced to like, do I trust the primary sources or not? Is there sufficient evidence, right? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
So I hope you see that like when we talk about faith as a form of knowing, like is it a genuine form of knowing? We can say no, it's not. But the problem with that is, is in everyday life, we use this all the time, literally all the time, even to the point of like uh, the use of our senses and receiving things, right? Of like, is it actually trustworthy? And we operate as if it is. This is, this is kind of an aside, but the reason, part of the reason why I think that this is so important is like as a priest and doing all different types of, of ministry, I've worked with like people that were like extremely mentally ill Right, so there's a, a deep connection, a problem between the connection with reality. Something is preventing them from seeing things as they are, and uh, the only way that they actually get better is if they trust someone outside of themselves. Because the problem actually isn't uh, their reason. Their reason is actually really solid because it doesn't. It's not actually a logical conclusion that because the sun has risen all of these days before, therefore it will rise tomorrow. That's not actually logical. Correlation does not imply causation. But it would be unreasonable to be like, therefore the sun won't, like I don't know for certain, so I'm gonna freak out about it, right? Like the, the, the problem actually isn't pure reason. The problem is, is reason is an awareness of reality in all of its factors, and there's a data point that's missing. It's like, yeah, like the sun's gonna rise tomorrow, and for the person that's like really, really mentally unwell, right? The only way that they actually get better is if they trust someone outside of them. They're like, their life depends on that. Of no, like I'm not someone else in disguise. I'm not trying to con you. Like you need to take your medicine. And they can literally logically think of every argument. I've seen this, right? I've witnessed it. They can think of every logical argument that is like logically consistent to go against you, right? But the problem is, is that they're missing an essential point. They're missing something. And the only way that they actually get better and see reality like more clearly is if they trust someone outside of themselves, right? Reason is an awareness of reality and all of its factors. And like the way that we like come to these things and actually live in community is through the method of faith. Society grows actually through trust. Like that's actually how things work. And when there isn't trust on like a societal level, things fall apart. But the, re- the use of reason is really crucial. And I can't highlight that part enough that like the, this is not about like when we talk about faith and especially in the Catholic church, we're not talking about turning our brains off and it's not anti-intellectual. What it's actually saying is that you need like, like that faith is actually the flowering of reason and the fulfillment of it in the sense of you need something else actually to get to the truth because you can't get to everything by yourself that faith is actually the flowering of reason. So it's not anti-intellectual, it's that like you can't just have intellect alone. Even to the point of, Jasani would say there is a morality to human knowing, that in order to know anything, there's actually a morality connected to it, in the sense of that you have to love the truth more than your own preconceptions. And if we don't love the truth more than our own preconceptions, we can actually get in a lot of trouble. So I'm to give this example of the last uh, place to accept, the last like university to accept germ theory was the one that had put forward the last theory, right? So they had a vested interest in germ theory not being true because that would mean that like their place of fame of the previous theory, like they would have to disregard that and they'd have to recognize something else. So it was something that was actually preventing them from acknowledging a fact. There is a morality to human knowing that we actually have to love the truth more than our own preconceptions. Does this, uh, does this make sense of like what we talk about like at a pedagogical level of like faith as a form of knowing? And the problem is it's a tool that has to be used correctly. It can be misused, but it needs to be like used correctly. Does that make sense? This is crucial going forward because we're gonna be talking about a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, good. I, for me, like, once I understood this, it was actually deeply healing because healing in the sense of so much of what I encountered was almost to like be religious is to almost like turn off your brain, right? And the experience of this was like, no, 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 this is actually like an actual, like, tool that needs to be used correctly was like really, really beautiful and helpful. Um, The next part of this is like understanding like 
Okay, if reason is an awareness of reality in all of its factors, and now I want to talk just like very briefly about what we mean by like the religious sense. How do we become aware of this something that is more, that reality seems to indicate? Because even when we talk about knowledge through a witness, the other dynamic that we're talking about is the dynamic of a sign, right? I don't know why I needed to write that down, but a sign, right? And a sign is something that points to a deeper invisible reality, right? Or a visible reality too, right? A sign in the sense of if you're lost in the woods and then you see like a wooden panel that says campsite two miles, right? You're gonna follow that hopefully, right? To be like, oh, I'm not lost anymore. That will lead me somewhere else. You wouldn't be like, well, that's interesting. Like wood, like nailed on other wood then move on, right? Like we live with the understanding of like the dynamic of a sign, that it indicates that it points to a deeper reality. And we use this even too of like language as well, the relationship between object and sign, right? But also even thinking about like in, in the like most dramatic expression of it, of like the invisible reality of like love, like whatever that is, right? You receive flowers and the flowers, like it's not just like cool flowers and that's it but it actually indicates something, right? If you're not a complete like dolt, you recognize that it's like this person cares about me, right? The beauty of the flowers indicates something. It points to something, right? Like Walker Percy would say that man is a sign monger, right? That like the more that we grow and develop, the more we actually use signs and it's in our nature to use this like visible thing to point to a deeper invisible reality. Okay, um, that like thing of like the dynamic of sign is actually like uh, what we would talk about with like what the church kind of calls the sacramentality of the world, that all of reality is actually a sign pointing to a deeper invisible reality, right? That it's a sign that points to something deeper, that like the reality of being like beings point to the deeper reality of like something that is at the root of all being. And to like hit this in a few different ways, there's lots of actually like arguments for the existence of God. But for me, again, like I think that like the fact that they're purely intellectual, for me, I actually think is less than helpful. Because again, like we're talking about like our humanity. So if you're interested in those, like I can provide those. But the thing that I wanted to point to is actually this, and I gave a few different examples of it of this experience throughout all of human history of people's experience of a something, of an infinite, that reality seems to point towards and indicate, particularly in the experience of beauty, right? That there is like something, right? And that when it encounters this something, it's not just like, wow, that's cool and that's it, but it actually opens the heart up to this question, who are you? What is this, right? that it actually points to something deeper. And the more weird graphic. So one, one thing I'll, I'll just read right now, and it's the quote on music from uh, Jasani, where he says, uh, and this has been my experience of music as well, like of like going to concerts, like particularly live music. But this line from Jasani where he says, in music, in the panorama of nature, in dreams at night, it is to something else that man pays homage from which he expects something. He awaits it. His enthusiasm is for something that for that music or everything that is beautiful in this world has hearkened within him. When a person begins to feel this, his soul immediately harks to await the other thing. Even in the presence of what he can grasp, he awaits another thing. He grasps what he can grasp, but he awaits another thing. So it's like, and this has been my experience of music actually, right? Of like, especially live music or jamming with my friends. I was never any good, but they were really good and they let me play with them. And like when you're singing together, there is this like something, right? Where it seems like there is something so beautiful that is like out of proportion to what you're actually experiencing. That this indicates something more. That it's not just flowers, right? But it points to like someone who is giving you flowers, right? That there is something out of proportion to what you're receiving, 
right? That it's a sign, or it's almost like knowledge through a witness, that there is something, and I don't know what the C is, right? But the B is telling me about it, that there is something greater, something going on there. So this is like the graph that Stein would always use of saying like man is relationship with the infinite, and that there are things as we get older that awaken desire, but at the same breath are unable to fulfill it. So I always give this example, right? And actually our desire widens as we get older. But I remember so distinctly when I was a kid and I played Nintendo 64 for the first time, GoldenEye. And I literally remember saying, this is it. This is how I want to spend the rest of my life, right? Like that was the ideal, was spending like the rest of my life like playing that with my friends. Like that was it. That was all I wanted to do, right? Like this is it. But I remember like three, four months later being bored with it, right? It didn't actually like satisfy. There like was something like it was, it awoke something and then it's like, is this it? And then again, right, like meeting my best friend and it's like, this is it. Like I just want to roll with this guy and like that's it. And that's how I want to spend the rest of my life. And then at some point it's like, yeah, like they're still awesome, but it doesn't respond to like that need. Like it's not actually enough. Like it doesn't respond to this deeper thing. And then meeting the girl uh, and then being like, I just want to spend the rest of my life with her, right? And then it's like, all right, she's great, but there's like always something deeper. And you see this dynamic actually throughout all of our lives. And this is why like this is more of an existential thing of like see if this isn't your experience as well, where it seems to be these specific points in reality that awaken desire and point to something deeper, but they themselves don't exhaust it and fulfill it and seem to point. It seems to actually like, like indicate or be a sign almost being like farther along, farther along, right? There's something deeper going on here that like points to the infinite. This is a poem by Giacomo Leopardi. It's called The Night Song of the Nomadic Shepherd in Asia. And it says, many times when I see you hanging so silent above the flat, unbroken plain that stretches to touch the very edge of the sky or following me as I go with my sheep and keeping pace with me as I behold in heaven the fiery stars, I ask myself, why so many blazing torches? What's the point of the endless air or the infinite deep reaches of the sky? What does this huge solitude mean? Or what am I? Right? Like the whole thing is like, what is this like in front of the beauty of nature and like the stars in the sky? A question naturally emerges that actually doesn't seem to be in proportion to what's going on. The heart naturally asks, what is this huge portentous beauty and what am I? It like is a question that like begs actually an answer. Right? Um, did I put on here? Yeah, if you go farther down. This is Par Lagerbis, another poet, and he says, uh, My friend is a stranger, someone I do not know, a stranger far, far away. For his sake, my heart is full of disquiet, because he is not with me, because perhaps, after all, he does not exist. Who are you who so fill my heart with your absence, who fill the entire world with your absence? Parlick wasn't actually a believer, but in his honesty, he had this question where he asks, Who are you? that so fill my heart with your absence, right? Where it seems like I'm missing a you who fills the whole world with his absence, right? The other line too from Cesare Pavese, who says like, he, it was when he was receiving like the prestigious Strega Award, he wrote in his journal, has anyone ever promised anything? Then why should we expect anything? Like when you think about it, like if reality just is what it is and that's it, why would we expect things? Why would we have an expectation? And he himself is asking this question. He's like, nobody promised me anything. Why do I expect things? Why do I discover in myself this like expectation, right? It's almost as if there is something that keeps indicating farther on, farther on, farther on, right? Like leading towards the infinite, towards the mystery, towards this something that all of reality seems to point towards, right? Uh, and that, like, this something that, like, all of reality seems to point towards, like, we have this, like, infinite thirst and need uh, for truth, goodness, beauty, justice, unity, love, all of these things 
And even in the like getting those things, it always seems to indicate farther on, farther on, farther on. Like there's something more, there's something more, and yet it's like not graspable, right? Like I can't grasp it. And so the question of like, who are you who fill my heart with this absence, who fill the whole world with this absence, right? What does this huge solitude mean, or what am I, right? Jasani says, only the hypothesis of God, only the affirmation of the mystery as a reality existing beyond our capacity to fathom entirely, only this hypothesis corresponds to the human person's original structure. If it is human nature to indomitably search for an answer, this unlimited desire, right? Uh, if the structure of a human being then is this irresistible and inexhaustible question, more, 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 what is this, who are you? Plea, then one suppresses the question only if one does not admit to the existence of an answer. But this answer cannot be anything but unfathomable. Only the existence of the mystery suits the structure of the human being, which is mendicity, insatiable begging. And what corresponds to him is neither he himself nor something he gives to himself, measures or possesses. So he's saying like the most reasonable position in front of this experience of like constantly yearning and seeking, even the desire for truth, right? The desire for more, the desire, the desire to go beyond the stars, to discover everything, to know everything, right? Like where does that desire come from, this insatiable desire? More, 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 like seeking, seeking. The only answer, especially, and it seems to get like farther along, farther along, uh, is that like the most reasonable thing is not to say that there's nothing, but whatever that something is on like the edge of being or the origin of being itself, whatever that something is, I need that something to reveal itself to me, to tell me who it is, to show its face, right? And so he actually says, and this is the like really wild thing, is that the most human thing is actually like begging or asking. Like reveal yourself to me, show me who you are. Lord Huron has this great line in The Stranger, if you are who you say you are, show me your face. It's one of my favorite lines. Uh, if you are who you say you are, show me your face, right? But the fact that this like desire exists within me, right? What is the more reasonable position to say that there could potentially be something that responds to that desire or to say from the outset, there isn't anything that corresponds to it, which is actually like the more reasonable position. Just as we would say, which is the more reasonable position to use the method of faith that you use in everyday life and to also use it in your intellectual system, right? Or to use the method of faith in everyday life, but then to say, yeah, in the intellectual system, I can't actually know things. It's impossible to start there, to stop there. Like that's actually a fragmented thing. A lived contradiction is what we would call it, right? And so it seems that the most reasonable thing is actually that whatever this is on the edge of our experience that the dynamic of sign or all of reality and like beauty, nature, love, truth, goodness, all of these things seems to indicate that that's something like we like need it, that there is potentially something there, right? And that is reasonable because all of the like different like signs that are like the mediators point to that reality. And that I need to like beg and ask for that to like reveal itself to me, right? Um, this is from the Catechism, but Pius XII and Humani Generis says, uh, though human reason is strictly speaking truly capable by its own natural power and light of attaining to a true and certain knowledge of the one personal God, that there is something here, that there is a like mystery, something that is at the origin of all being, who watches over and controls the world by his providence and of the natural law written in our hearts by the creator. Yet there are many obstacles which prevent reason from the effective and fruitful use of this inborn faculty. For the truths that concern the relations between God and man wholly transcend the visible order of things. And if they are translated into human action and influence it, they call for self-surrender and abnegation. So I have to accept the dynamic of like faith in the sense of there's a deeper invisible reality that these things indicate. Knowledge through witness, right? The human mind in its turn is hampered in the attaining of such truths, not only by the impact of the senses and the imagination, but also by disordered appetites, which are the consequences of original sin. So it happens that men in such matters easily persuade themselves that they would not like to be true as false or at least doubtful. 
So that's Pius Twelfth and Humani Generis, who's basically saying uh, that this like dynamic, because it like follows it, like it's so like there's like we can arrive at this at the natural level, like this is the natural conclusion of things. But again, it requires an ascent of like the dynamic of faith that's like really really difficult. And so like even though we can on the natural order get to the conclusion of something. The reality of human difficulty, of what we talk about, like the morality of human knowing, that you have to love the truth more than your own preconceptions, often actually prevents us from getting there. The other thing he says is by the use of imagination. Like many people in the popular culture, their idea of God is like an old man with a beard raining blows down on his children that he's mad at, unless they do exactly what he says, right? But that is what we would say is actually like imposing upon instead of actually an openness to reality in all of its factors, right? And it's actually one of the, even thinking about like so many like popular shows today, right? I, but I was thinking of like Supernatural and Preacher where like God is actually like a bad guy at some point. And he's like, I like, and he's actually like a weird creepy guy of like, I create things because I'm lonely and I created things so that I could be loved and so I could mess with them when they don't love me, right? But like that is almost an imposition from like the popular culture today of an understanding of God, right? Where it imposes their experience of reality instead of recognizing this deeper thing. So we have to actually like love the truth more than our own preconceptions. Okay. Um, the last thing of this is uh, if the like. There is, in like, in human experience in our everyday life, we use the natural form of knowing. And then, like, in this, it points, like, reality is a sign pointing to a deeper invisible reality of something, whatever that is. And because of that, the most reasonable response, because I can't grasp it or possess it or impose upon it, but there, like, is reasonably something, then the most reasonable thing to do is to, like, ask for that to reveal itself to us to tell us who it is. If you are who you say you are, show me your face. These last two lines from Jusani, he says, reality is a sign, and when human consciousness interprets the sign, it understands the existence of a mystery. In this sense, then, the world, by its very structure, is the revelation of God, and human beings hear the presence of a beyond by interpreting the dynamic structure of their relationship with things. In the proper sense of the word, revelation does not signify the outcome of man's interpretation of reality, human nature in search of its meaning, right? It's not the outcome of my understanding of it, uh, but is actually like a reality. Rather, revelation means a possibly real fact, an historical event which the human person may or may not recognize. And then to deny that this hypothesis is, so this is almost getting to like the next step of things of what if the infinite out of the like desire for us to know what it is and this asking, right, doesn't leave us alone, but actually like reveals itself and becomes experienceable, becomes tangible in a real way, right? Like what if that actually happened? Because that's what like the most human thing to do is beg, is like show me who you are. And that this is actually like a claim of a specific group of people, which we would get into next week, right? But like could that happen? And one of the difficulties in the modern world for people to understand religiosity is there is a uh, prejudice, and I would actually call it that, like a prejudice. There is a, a prejudice of uh, agnosticism in the sense of saying, like, yeah, there could be something, but it can't actually reveal itself. It can't do it, or it won't, right? And to believe that is fine, but it is actually a prejudice in the sense of you're imposing an idea before the possibility of that could actually happen, right? Shani says, to deny that this hypothesis is possible is the ultimate and extreme form of idolatry, reason's most drastic attempt to impose on God its own image of him. Because if God is the mystery, how can one dictate to him what he can and cannot do? Um, so this is like the, yeah, the thing that just gets it getting at today of the first part of what we talk about. This is baseline for everyone, right? Is that there is an experience of something that all of reality seems to indicate and that uh, the most human gesture of all is like asking for like whatever that is to reveal yourself. And you see that, yeah, in like the poem, like the experience of music, like, like I desire more like what is this, right? In the experience of love, 
the uh, poet Christian Wyman, he said, like, I began to believe in God when I met my wife because I needed someone to thank. Meaning there was something in that love that was so out of proportion that he was like, this is a gift and a gift implies a giver. And so like, I need to like recognize what that giver is to like, thank him. So this is just like baseline existence of God opening up to like the need for revelation, which is what we'll talk about next week. Is that clear? Are there questions? Yeah, next Tuesday at seven o'clock. We had to break it up just because I have like recognized like this is kind of a lot. This is a lot, I, I would say, right? Because we're even almost going against like I think what we've inherited in America are two traditions of one one that's like a post enlightenment rationalism where like reason is the measure of all things. So you can only know things through pure reason. And then on the other side of of a faith that almost denies reason and it's like just belief. And both of those things, we get both of them smashed together. And so most people live a really like, we, this is the air we breathe. And they live a really fragmented existence where they almost bop back and forth between the two, right? And so it's like we had to get to like faith as a form of knowing and experience of the mystery to be able to get to like the deeper claims of Christianity that the mystery became man. Does that make sense? Yeah. I really like the idea of the So, and we're, we're going to skip ahead, but like the problem is, is that like you go farther along and what people tend to do is stop at this and be like, this is my happiness, right? Like if I just get that car, I'll be happy. If I just get that job, I'll be happy, whatever, right? And stop there. And so it seems like if it's just like you just keep ascending and it's like meeting new things that widen desire uh, without actually fulfilling it, that's kind of torturous, Right. It's like someone leaving you love notes, but running away every time you see them, right? And again, that's almost like people's idea of God, right? Is like, why are you torturing me? Uh, I think the best articulation of even this question is C.S. Lewis's Till We Have Faces, which is a novel, actually. But it's the brilliant, like, question of that. What we'll talk about next week is that the problem with that is the person who ascends the highest is the genius, Right? The genius is the person that gets the like closest, right? And the genius is the one who does something in such a way to where you're like, I couldn't have said it better myself, right? You read an incredible poet and you're like, that gets at that experience, right? A beautiful song, a brilliant philosopher, a brilliant scientist who like gets at something and you're like, how did you figure that out? That's amazing. The problem then is the religious ideal becomes the genius, right? What about the normal person of everyday life? Right, it seems like that that method seems to disregard them. What we'll talk about next week is that if the infinite becomes experienceable, right? If the infinite, oh, and this is time by the way. If the infinite comes down, (laughs) just throwing that in there. uh, If the infinite reveals itself, right, as a tangible presence that I can meet, then the religious then this method of like the genius as the ideal becomes overturned. And the way to adhere is simplicity of receiving that, right? So then it's like, it's not just like the lucky ones here, but the ones who like accept this reality as a gift, just like they accept all of reality as a gift, right? And so the method becomes overturned so that anyone, it's graspable for anyone and everyone while still exalting the goodness of the genius. That's the like overturning of the method in some way. So like the infinite, um, the, line, the beautiful line from one of the Christological professors is infinity, actually it's, I think it's a line from Gerard Manley Hopkins, that person, infinity dwindled to infancy. So infinity dwindled to infancy in the sense of the proclamation of Christians that the infinite became man in Jesus Christ. So that little baby, is the presence of the mystery made flesh. Infinity dwindled to infancy and can be like picked up and held. So you see how that kind of answers 
the sense of like being afraid of reality, or people that are like you're saying mentally ill and like skeptical of everything. What's like the position? I think the position then is like, because look, like part of the difficulty is, is that like people don't just like choose to be skeptical, right? Like there's usually something that happens that causes them to be skeptical. They were like deceived, right? There's nobody that's just like, I hate relationship and that's it. No, because like we're made for community. We're made for relationship. Something happens that like breaks the trust, right? But what we would say is the biggest thing is actually fidelity to reality in the sense of, okay, I have been like hurt or I've been deceived, but my heart and my whole being still aches for truth, goodness, beauty, justice, all these things. So what am I going to do? Like shut down my whole, like my desire in front of that, or do I like still follow it? So what we would say is like be faithful to the full extent of your humanity, including your desire. Because even the person that says you can't actually know anything still hungers for truth, right? Like that exists within them. Does that make sense? Yeah. And the person like with like, like who's like really struggling with like mental illness, it's no different in some ways, like without being reductive, it's in no different in some ways than like walking with kids, right? Where like they don't understand. I've given this example too many times, but like my niece tried to eat a dishwasher tablet right? And she was partially successful. It was the second time I had to call poison control that week. First one was my friend getting stung by a stingray. Uh, It was a weird week, right? But like I managed to get the dishwasher tablet from her mouth after she had taken a good bite out of it and it like frightened her, right? She didn't understand that it's not food. But like once she had like calmed down and once she got a little bit older could explain, I wasn't trying to scare you, right? Uh, I was actually trying to like help you. One of the things we figure out, we, we forget in education and even in the relationship with the mystery is that our awareness grows in time, right? Little kids don't have a capacity to understand things the same, the same way that someone older does. And when you understand this within religious history, there's a lot of things that make a lot more sense. Even kind of maybe the roughness of the God of the Old Testament. It's like, look, kids like need firm boundaries, a lot of rules. Guys out of prison that have lived in the prison system for too long need actually a lot of boundaries and a lot of rules not to control them, not to punish them, but actually so that they can grow in freedom, right? Just like even like people talking about pandemic, people that did the best with like mental health were those that had a good routine, right? A steady routine. People that like lose their job, like one of the best things that they can do is have a solid routine. Like don't sleep in every day. Actually get up as if your life like does have, like you do have work to do. And it's like hugely helpful for like mental health, right? So it's like with any of these things, it's like uh, once you understand it as an education, as a growing in awareness, it all begins to make like a lot more sense. So sometimes it's a lot more like rules and boundaries, but not to like punish or control, but to actually help someone to grow in freedom, right? The child that desperately yearns to make beautiful music, uh, like desperately wants to make beautiful music, but is like, why do you put me in front of this piano every day? Why do I have to practice? This is so dumb. Like they haven't made the connection between that practice, the repetition, will get them to the point of the freedom of musical expression. Right? There has to be someone that like walks with them in that. Part of the thing of revelation is actually that like this the mystery, whatever this is, is actually like loving and paternal, right? And is actually helping us to grow. And that part of even the like difficulties and things making sense is actually like a child not understanding why they need to go to bed at night. Right? Because they don't understand what it means to be tired. Like they don't understand their own experience. Does that make sense? That, for me, like, of humanity helped clarify a lot of things of awareness of time. Any other questions? Any part that's like, yeah, I call BS on that, or like, I don't think that that's true. All right, so uh, for those that are interested, like we'll meet next week, talk about 
like the second part of this, suggests that there's on there some like extra resources if you're interested in this more. And this is specifically for just the experience of like relig basic religiosity and understanding that, like the religious experience. Um, the Religious Sense by Luigi Giussani, I think that this is a masterpiece. Uh, it's really brilliant and really, really beautiful and really clear. He also is super weird. My friends and I read this book together and they would get so mad because he would be like, to illustrate this point, I will now quote the Russian poet Yevtushenko. And they're like, How, that's, what are you doing? What is this? Uh, but I, yeah, I actually think it's brilliant. Catechism of the Catholic Church is like the, this is like what the church believes and why. And it actually starts with desire and existence of God and actually follows actually a similar pedagogy. But there's everything here of like what the church teaches. Um, Joseph Ratzinger's, who's Pope Benedict XVI, he's going to be named a doctor of the church. He's the brilliant living, most brilliant living theologian today, actually. His introduction to Christianity, it's not, it's probably, it's pretty densely philosophical, but it's actually really amazing. His stuff is incredible. Uh, he's brilliant. And so, and I think really accessible. So this is really helpful. For the more on like structure of faith as a form of knowing, which is science, is it possible to live this way? Volume one on faith is really, really good. And he helps make clear the steps from faith on the natural level to faith on the supernatural level. So, all right. Thanks, guys. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, like I said, keep an eye out on your Spotify or your Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud, uh, wherever you listen to us on. We'll probably be releasing the next installment, part two of the What is Catholicism series, um, hopefully within the next week. And yeah, so keep an eye out for that. And we'll also be doing some kind of original, like uh, actual podcasts soon. Um, so yeah, uh, stay awesome, everyone.